Welcome to another episode of the Faith Work Rest podcast. Our mission is to help people discern their vocations and reimagine their occupation for the good of their neighbor and the glory of God. We're part of the Surge Network. It's a network of local churches united to put Jesus on display in their community. You can learn more at surgenetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Faith, Work, and Rest podcast. This is Lauren Kutzko. I'm here with Jim Mullins and Kimberly Deckel, and we have uh, an exciting guest that we are going to uh, be sharing with you today. But before we jump into that, uh, we wanted to start taking just a second to express some gratitude to some people that we uh, have been interacting with in the community and, and just uh, thank them. So I think each of us have somebody today. Mine is uh, my daughter's second grade teacher, Yolanda Wheelington. Um, I've just noticed my daughter coming home from school and her growth over the past uh, two years that she's had this teacher. Um, and so I just wanted to say thanks for that. Great. Yeah. I would say the person whose work that I would like to recognize that I'm really grateful for is a guy by the name of Tanner Allen. He owns a, a gym. Uh, he's a personal trainer. Uh, his his company's called uh, Journey Training. And he's a guy who has helped me a lot in the last probably five months get healthier, and um, which helps my good work and helps me to love others well. How about you, Kimberly? Yeah, so randomly, mine happens to be Yolanda Wheelington as well. So my daughter, who's in first grade, also has her. Um, and we have just really seen our daughter, Keenan just really blossom this year. The thing that I think, there's a lot of things about her that have kind of stuck out for me that um, have just been good works with these kids. One thing that she said to us at, at parent-teacher conferences was that she wants all of the kids first to know that she loves them and how much she does. And then when she's interacting with them and, and helping helping them with what they call works at school um, or even disciplining, like starting with love. And I just thought that was really beautiful and, and just good work for yeah. our, and our kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, today we're going to have an interview with Jordan Williams. And uh, this is a unique opportunity for us to uh, have a clinical psychologist uh, come in and or I'm sorry, a clinical therapist. Uh, step in and help us with some self-reflection. So I asked her to give us five questions that we should be asking ourselves at all times to help us reflect. So we're going to hear about her work. We're going to hear about those five questions. But before we hear those questions, I wanted to ask you guys, what would you add to her list? What's a good question for self-reflection that you would add to Jordan's list? Yeah. So First of all, I loved her questions, and I'm excited for people to listen and just hear what she has to say. And as I was thinking through the questions that she had already and something that when I'm spending time in self-reflection, I thought a lot of times I have to kind of ask myself, like, how is God working in me now? Mm. And just take some time to kind of reflect and recognize that. Um, and I think even for people who don't love Jesus and don't have a relationship with him, sometimes that question might just be, like, what is happening in me now? Or what types of things are kind of growing and developing in me now? Yeah. yeah. Do you have regular rhythms in which you ask that question? I do. So that question, I, so a lot, some of the questions that Jordan brought up are questions that I pretty frequently I'm kind of reflecting on. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions, I can't remember exactly how she worded it, but like a lot of times for me, even throughout the day, it's kind of checking my motivation too. Mm -hmm. So like whatever it is I'm doing, um, like whether it's something I'm physically doing or even if it's like a response to something, mm -hmm. thinking about like what is my like motivation? Like why am I doing this? Or even why do I like feel hmm. this way? Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah, I really like Jordan's questions too. Um, the whole episode was, uh, the whole interview is really good. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things I was expecting her to say that di I didn't hear her say, but um, has been helpful for me is specifically asking myself how I'm feeling. Um, I think mm. I have a tendency to think pretty fast. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so forcing myself or, or, you know, sort of giving myself the chance to use emotional language with myself and kind of understand what's going on in my body emotionally mm. by you know, answering the question, how am I feeling uh, is helpful and kind of using feeling words. Yeah. How did that question become important to you? Um, I don't know. I guess I think. How do you I mean, feel about me asking yeah. you that question? <laughs> uh, I think part of it's just being around people who are a little bit more emotionally in tune than me and kind of noticing. I tend to be more, you know, cerebral and analytical and thinking oriented and, and you know, wanting to experience more of them and wanting mm. to experience more of uh, who God made me to be and kind of my, the fullness of my humanity. Um, and so, I mean, it's a stretching 
exercise to some degree. But I, I also, as I've gotten older, I feel like I do experience negative emotions more um, and, and mm-hmm. things than maybe I did when I was younger. And so I'm um, just trying to build habits around healthy understanding of what's going on and awareness, I guess. That's good. That's mm-hmm. good. You guys sound like you have like a counselor who like lives in your neighborhood. And I know there's a popular <laughs> one that a lot of people go to who's in your neighborhood. So uh, the emotional health that exudes from you guys. So I would say for me, the question would be, who will tell me the truth right now? Mm. Would be a good question. Yeah. That is good. And what got me thinking about this was last week, I received the best gift I can remember receiving. Someone dropped off at my house. This was the former global outreach director for the church that I was at who took copious notes of everything that happened in my life from like age 18 (laughs) to 28. Every little crazy vision paper where I wrote this little like manifesto about how I could go play football in Turkey or something (laughs) like that and, you know, bring the Turkish football league there or whatever, like everything she kept. She kept all of our conversations. She even kept confidential references for me to go to Turkey. And I have no idea why they were in this box. They should not have been in this this dossier of my life, <laughs> yeah. if you will. Um, but she dropped it off and I'm reading through it and I'm just like weeping over all of totally. these incredible memories yeah. and everything. Wow. Um, and then I get to the reference of Chris Gonzalez, <laughs> you know, the pastor of Missio Day. Yeah. He was a good friend of mine. And I'm like, should I read this? I'm like, no, it was her responsibility to make sure I didn't get this. Now that's in my does, hand, I'm going to read it. Does Chris know you? He, he knows. Read I read it. Yeah, I told him. Because if he doesn't, now yeah. he does. Now he does. Yep. No, I told him and I read through that thing. And what I realized is that there was not a word that he wrote in that reference that he hadn't said to me in person. Mm, wow. uh, the hard things yeah. and the good things. Mm. And that sort of candor and honesty is such a valuable gift. And I think in every season of our life, we need someone who will tell us the truth, Mm -hmm. the full truth, who's secure enough to say the hard things, but also secure enough to say the uh, affirmative things as well. And so, yeah, that's the question I would add to the list. Who will tell me the truth right now? Mm -hmm. So those are our questions. Now we have the opportunity to listen to Jordan's five questions for self-reflection. And I'd say that if you, when you get ready to listen to this, so I was driving and then later on I was like, man, I wish I had, had written this down. So I went back and listened. So I'd say that if you have the opportunity to listen to this with a journal or something to write down, especially the five questions, that that would be yeah, good. That's good. good. Yeah. We'll throw them in the show notes too. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Let's listen in. Okay. I'm here with Jordan Williams, someone who I really admire someone who I view as like a young sage. I've heard many people give advice on the people you want to learn from. They say you want to be learning from people who are older than you, people who are the same age, people who are younger than you, and know who those people are. And Jordan Williams falls on the list of one of the younger people that I like to learn from. So often I, when I see you, I try to pelt you with all kinds of <laughs> questions and learn all sorts of things. So I thought it might be good to actually record one of those conversations. I appreciate that. Yeah. So tell us uh, the, the mini bio of you. What's your story? Uh, mini bio. Um, I was born and raised here in the Phoenix area in Chandler. I was always a very quiet, imaginative, kind of withdrawn kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up going to NAU, uh, Northern Arizona University, for my undergrad. Got a degree in English and film because nice. I uh, wanted to be a screenwriter. And mm. then over the course of several events, ended up coming back to Phoenix instead of going out to LA and became a clinical therapist instead. And then met my husband as well. So that's an interesting turn. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's much more connected than it first sounds. Yeah. yeah. What's the connection? When I decided I wanted to be a screenwriter, I specifically wanted to get into television writing for comedy. And I've always really been interested in like film and television. um, And I wanted to tell stories that resonated with people. But I also would see kind of the uh, just the comedy sphere and see how many people who were actually who were comedy writers and they were brilliant, but they were suffering. So a lot of them have, you know, mental health issues and a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, substance use. And I would just always see, you know, articles about prominent um, comedians who were dying by suicide or from drug overdose. And so I wanted to 
actually go into the industry to to help people hmm. um, there as well. And so just over the course of you know a few years, having, I think, that vision refined, decided to go back to school and get my master's in counseling first. Hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Well, we're going to dive into what you do, and then we're going to ask some advice on self-reflection. But before we do, I want I want to help people get a snapshot of some of the things that have shaped you and that have made you who you are. So rapid fire questions, I'm just going to throw them out there. Give me one sentence answer. What's been the most influential book for you? I'd say one of them is A Clockwork Orange. Really? What is that? By Anthony Burgess. Have you ever, have you not heard of it? I don't think I have. Okay. So it's actually, it's both a book and a movie. The movie is probably way too violent and awful to actually watch. Hmm. But the book, I think, is is great because it's kind of this dystopian future in uh, England. And it's this hyper-violent teenage kid and his, like, gang. And he ends up getting arrested and goes through kind of a behavior modification, really intense um, aversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of an interesting story about just why behavior modification doesn't really work. Mm. And why it's important for people to continue to have free will. So I think it was a really interesting, like thought-provoking book for that reason. You end up almost wanting him to go back to like his violent ways because of how much he was tortured. Really? To have that beaten out of him. Wow. That, That sounds very interesting. How about the most influential relationship outside of your family? Um, I would say that was probably my best childhood friend, Katie. Hmm. We were both very similar. Uh, naturally withdrawn kids. And I think it was important for me to have someone who I felt like actually understood me Mm. and could uh, get into my headspace because I usually kept people kind of far away. Totally. What's one place, a physical location, whether it be a building or a city or a neighborhood that has shaped you most? I would say probably my college, so for undergrad, Northern Arizona University, specifically because I was involved in InterVarsity, mm. which is a Christian organization for college students. And I think that place had the it had the most important impact on how I view vocation and how I even view the gospel. I think it it had like a it gave me a really firm foundation for being able to see some of these concepts that we're talking about now and already have a basis for it from from undergrad age on which was important for me. Yeah, that's great. What about the soundtrack of your life? So I'll tell you about this question. I've decided to remove this question. (laughs) I I ask a lot of people this question, and most of the time people don't have an answer for me. But I figured before I remove it, I'm going to leave it in because I have a feeling that you might be able to answer it. Yes, definitely, because I love music. And um, usually the soundtrack, this is actually very interesting because – this makes a lot of sense to me. So Warren, my husband, he just uh, talked to me yesterday about the fact that he saw some article that said that most people stop looking for new music around hmm. age 28. Really? Yeah. That huh. once you get to that age, that's usually when you stop seeking out all of the new stuff and you revert back to whatever you already like. Hmm. And that makes a lot of sense to me because I'm already getting to the point where you know, I see the young artists coming up and I'm like, who are these kids? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't care about them. So for my music, I'm kind of an old soul in that way. I listen to a lot of like 60s soul, mm-hmm. lots of Sam Cooke, Otis Redding. I like the jazzy voices. Uh, I love Louis Armstrong. So especially if I just need a nice like relaxing day, hmm. Louis Armstrong, like being cozy inside, wrapped up like a cocoon, and just, yeah, listening to La Vie and Rose. Nice, nice. I think that that article has some merit to it, <laughs> except I was about a decade early. Yeah. So I stopped listening to new music at, like, at age 18. 18. <laughs> so um, that's great. And how do you rest? Usually for me, rest is being able to have time alone with my own thoughts. Hmm. I know for some people, that's like their worst nightmare Hmm. is to actually be alone and uh, think about um, themselves and uh, just kind of their motivations and um, what they're pursuing. But for me, it's really restful just to be able to take take a step back and and reflect on where I'm at. Also, you know, Netflix here and there Mm -hmm. um, within within reason. And I'm just getting into photography. So Mm. learning some of the basics about how to take a good photograph and all the lighting and stuff. It's um, a little bit uh, difficult and challenging, which I think is good for me right now. Yeah. So 
I know that you pursue a lot of varied creative outlets. Mm -hmm. So it's not just one medium like a lot of people have. I've seen you, you know, do music and you're talking about photography and those sorts of things. Why do you think God cares about time spent being creative? I think, you know, inherently just as a part of God's character, that he is the ultimate creator Mm -hmm. and as being, you know, his image bearers, um, his children, that he's given us the, that same gift, I think, to be able to appreciate um, creativity mm-hmm. and to, to kind of feel a, a connection to him in that way. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's important to be able to, um, to see the, the beauty in, in something that we've created. Mm. Um, and it, I think it helps us kind of make sense of things. And I think God is a God of order as well. And mm. he, I think you don't normally hear that when it comes to, to something like creativity. But um, for me personally, when it comes to, you know, like writing a poem or um, taking a photo, it kind of gives a sense of order to what is usually just a, a jumble of mm. things in my own head that yeah. sometimes I don't even know what I'm actually thinking about until mm. I write it. Um, mm. And then able being able to reflect back on it um, and say, oh, that's what's been on my mind. So it kind of gives a sense of order to, to my own yeah, to my own style of thinking. Yeah. So speaking as a clinical therapist, mm-hmm. what do you think the role of creativity is in mental health and rest and those sorts mm. of things? Well, I think it's incredibly important. You know, I think sometimes people can have a misconception that, you know, as a therapist, you maybe you treat everyone the same mm. or like you have, you know, your style of therapy. And so you're asking everyone the same questions or you're doing the same techniques um, when in reality, you know, for each person that I work with, it becomes important for me to create kind of a new style of therapy for each person. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, even when it comes to the common mental disorders that we see, something like depression, you know, that's going to look much different in an 11-year-old girl with self-esteem issues Hmm. than it's going to look in a, you know, a 55-year-old who's dealing with, you know, grief and loss related to his mom. Hmm. So I need to be able to approach those you know, those two people in different ways. Mm. And so for someone, it might be, you know, incorporating art techniques or styles of like narrative therapy, where they're able to kind of tell stories and shape their own story to kind of reshape the way that they think about themselves. Whereas for someone else, it might be more, you know, cognitive based, or I see what thought patterns they have that are unhealthy and are keeping them in a place of of isolation or just unhealthy practices because of the thoughts that, that are constantly, you know, spiraling them into just unhealthy behaviors. Um, so being able to be creative in that way, it's it's both rewarding, but it's also very challenging hmm. because it, it, it takes a lot of energy yeah. to have you know, a lot of different people on your caseload and have to uh, consider that you're going to approach each person differently. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine, I imagine it'd be easy to really just phone it in and kind of have like yeah. your set away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure some people do that. Uh-huh. Um, I think especially probably over, over time, it becomes really easy to, to want to just treat everyone the same. But yeah. I think that does a real disservice to um, the people who are her making that courageous effort to even come to someone for help in the first place. Yeah, that's the type of love that I think is very similar to the way Jesus loves in that it starts with attentiveness mm-hmm. to who the person is. Definitely. Um, not just generic, but you see Jesus interacting with different people differently based on who they are and his attentiveness to who they are. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think, you know, even when it came to the Pharisees, I don't think he was speaking to them out of a place of hate. Yeah. You know, he, he still loved those people. But to be able to to speak to them and call them a brood of vipers, mm. you know, and say, yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah. And trying to get it through their heads. Like, this is not this is not my way. Yeah. Whereas if he's talking to, you know, the woman at the, you know, the woman at the well or the, the woman who um, the woman who came to him and and you know, cracked her, her oil open and, and Mm -hmm. was uh, wiping his feet and and using her hair. Like he's going to be much gentler with that woman. And he's speaking the same words just in a a very different way. And I think that that does speak to, you know, how I, how I work with people, you know, when it comes to, because I work uh, primarily with teenagers Mm. too. Um, And so a lot of teens, they don't take subtlety 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. you really have to 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 come at them and say, you know, what were you thinking? Mm. You know, but I'm not gonna. Do you ever call them a brood of vipers? <laughs> not not usually a brood of vipers, but you know, depending on on the relationship, because some of these teens I've known, you know, for a couple of years already, to to be able to have that relationship with them and mm. kind of call them out and say, uh, I you are capable of much better than this, mm. and uh, you need to. I I know you, and uh, that ain't you. Yeah. That ain't right. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, let me ask you a little bit about your work. Um, tell us about what what a good day looks like and what a terrible day looks like. A good day would be, um, ideally, I have about, you know, four appointments set throughout my day. Mm-hmm. Some people will have like, you know, they can have eight people on their schedule. They, they spend eight hours just seeing people and they love it. I'm not one of those people. Mm. Um, I need rest in mm. between and, and scheduled throughout my day. So ideally, I'd have about four people I see that day. There'd be about an hour in between each person. Mm. Um, each person would actually show up. Mm-hmm. And they're, for each session, um, just being able to fully connect and engage with them, um, help them feel heard and, and understood, maybe you know, challenge them to, to make some changes for themselves. But, you know, ultimately everyone is doing better than they were the week before. Hmm. And to be able to, to kind of look back and see, you know, progress that, that they're making, mm-hmm. um, that would be a good day. Yeah. A bad day mm-hmm. would be um, either you have all of your appointments scheduled and no one shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you're sitting in the office twiddling your thumbs hmm. or... Um, a combination of, of factors where uh, I could be getting a phone call at 9 p.m. from someone in crisis mm. um, who, you know, is thinking about hurting themselves um, or just having a lot of sessions where it's just a lot of heaviness, um, a lot of people who are struggling with, with similar things, you know, all on the same day. Yeah, just uh, being more overwhelmed with just the, the pain and the hurt that everyone's feeling. And it just seems like everyone is in a crisis situation where you know, they're, they're actively thinking about potentially harming themselves, ending their life, or they're just really struggling with, uh, with a lot of those, yeah, those heavier thoughts that day. Yeah. So Ephesians five talks about how we are called to be imitators of God, that we reflect his image and we're called to imitate his character. What's some aspect of God's character that you're trying to imitate, trying to reflect, and it shines forth when you do your work well? I think um, being a therapist, I'm thinking about God's um, character as a as a healer. Mm. That you know, being able to see kind of the brokenness um, in people, um, a lot of the lies that people tend to believe about themselves um, and about others, and being able to enter into that space and to actually connect with someone like Jesus did. Mm. Um, to be able to look them in the eye and kind of and know them hmm. and and to be able to bring healing, um, whether that's just more of a sense of rest, um, more of a sense of self-acceptance um, or being able to, yeah, being able to, to be in the mire with someone hmm. and help bring them out of it. Um, but the way I see it as well is, I guess it's kind of a little bit different in that I don't necessarily see myself as the healer because mm-hmm. um, I like to think of, you know, when I think of Jesus as being the healer, I think of myself more as being like the spit. Hmm. Like, when, <laughs> <laughs> like when Jesus, you know, decides to spit on the ground and, you know, make some mud and put it on the blind guy's eyes. Uh-huh. I see my... You know, my role is as being, you know, I don't have to be here. Mm. Like the ultimate healing comes from Christ. And I know that without him, true healing does not occur. Mm. And so for him to be able to use me, like he doesn't have to, but maybe he just thinks it's more fun that way mm. to be able to, you know, spit on the ground and, and rub some dirt on someone's eyes when he could have just said, you're healed. Mm. Um, so I kind of see myself in that way as being, you know, more of a tool that Jesus is using at that time. And that, so part of the healing process, but not, not the true healer. That, that is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> to be the spit of Christ. Yeah, that's, yeah that's how I see myself. That's great. Wow, that, there's so many directions I could go in that. <laughs> that's really good. 
Well, let me ask you this. Um, what's your sense of calling? Like, what is mm-hmm. your sense of the good works that God uniquely created you to do? Yeah, it's... when I think about my calling, um, you know, I, I think I've even had a sense even from that younger age as an undergrad um, of wanting to help people. Mm-hmm. And as I grew, kind of being able to um, move from job to job and kind of understand that ultimately that's what I was hoping to do. Um, and over time, I kind of came to recognize that even my name, I think, um, bears witness to my calling. How so? Um, it's like my name, my first name is Jordan. Hmm. And knowing, you know, originally, my parents might not have designed it this way. I think they were just looking for a biblical female J name. Because mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> both of my, you know, my older brothers have biblical J names. And so for me... Jezebel was Right, off, yeah. Jezebel, yeah. <laughs> so it was between those two, I think, maybe JL too. Is yeah, she the one the, who like drove the, the, the tent spike? That's right, head? that's right. Um, so I guess they, they felt that was probably the safest option. But for me being able to look at just the... The symbol that like the Jordan River, you know, what it what it symbolizes, you know, throughout scripture and as well as just within our our cultural community, just in the in the black American community that, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times in in that community, the Jordan River was seen as kind of a place of, of freedom or liberation. Mm-hmm. And so being able to see my name kind of as a, a symbol of my own calling, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm here to to help you know, break chains and to, to bring liberation to people who feel enslaved either by, you know, their thoughts or by um, just their, their mental health issues, that that's ultimately my calling, whether, you know, I'm working as a writer or working as a therapist, hmm. is to bring liberation to other people. Yeah, that's really rich. I think that's well said because our calling really is who God has made us to be. Mm-hmm. And it has different expressions depending on whatever the context or the setting is so it's one thing as it looks one way as a as a therapist one way when you're making music another way when you're spending time with a a close friend right and um but it really is who you are mm-hmm. um, that's really good so i wanted to have a little conversation about to draw on your expertise mm-hmm. So I was thinking about this quote recently. Uh, I'm not going to say it verbatim, but John Calvin and a number of others, they talk about part of how we know God is by getting to know ourselves. And part of how we get to know ourselves is by getting to know God. And as I've reflected on that and a few other things, even reading the Psalms, the importance of self-reflection and knowing where you're at and who you are and what's going on in you in this particular time has really stood out to me. And I've talked to a number of people who said that they may set aside the time to do some self-reflection, but when they do, they don't know what to do. Mm. They don't know what questions they should be thinking about and will often just drift toward YouTube. Right. (laughs) So... Um, what I wanted to do today is kind of get your top five questions for self-reflection, things that people could be asking themselves on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And we'll just make it a top five list. You'll walk us through and we'll we'll talk about them. So the number one question for self-reflection is? Okay. So number one would be, what matters to me right now? Hmm. And that's not necessarily about, you know, what ideally are your values, you know, because I think, you know, we have a tendency to think that way of, okay, if you were to ask me what matters to me, I would say, you know, oh, I love, you know, a sense of justice and, and mercy and, mm. you know, all these great things yeah. <laughs> that, that should matter to us. Yeah. But instead, I want, I want us to, to ask ourselves what matters to me right now functionally, mm. which means how am I actually spending my time? What am I giving the most thought to? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So pretty much like how, how am I, how am I actually spending my time both, you know, in work, outside of work? Yeah. Um, so I think that that gives you better insight into what has actually become most important to you. Yeah. You yeah. know, I think ideally we all want to have 
um, you know, a, a great relationship with God, hmm. to, uh, to have a great relationship with our families and our friends, and to pursue things that matter to us. Hmm. Um, and so this is a good question to ask of, are you actually pursuing what you say matters to you. Yeah. So you mentioned time as a diagnostic. Mm -hmm. What would be some of the other things that people could look at to help discern what really matters to them actually, not aspirationally? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thinking about definitely how are you spending your time? Um, Thinking about what are you worrying about? I think sometimes when we think about just our, our own thought process of what 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 do you keep going back to hmm. in your head? You know, are you worried about how you're going to pay your bills? Are you worried about um, just the the contentious relationship in your family? You know, are you worried about how people are are seeing you hmm. on social media? Hmm. Those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really helpful. Yeah, where do you what do you think about when you have nothing that you have to be thinking? Exactly. About? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if your if your mind is wandering, where is it wandering to at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. How about the second question? Okay. So then the second question builds off the first one. So after you've asked yourself what matters to you mm. in reality right now, the second question is what purpose is that serving? Mm. Um so thinking about, you know, what whatever you're devoting your time and attention to, it, there's always a reason mm. behind it you know, whether we're, you know, consciously aware of it or not. Mm. So taking the time to think about, in reality, what purpose is that serving? Mm. I know for me, you know, recently, reflecting for myself, thinking about how I've been spending my time, I do notice that, you know, there's certain times where I am a lot more on on Netflix than I want to be, or time where you know, I'm, I'm devoted to consuming the most amount of sugar as possible, mm. or <laughs> I'm impulsively buying things on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thinking about what purpose is that serving, I know for me, I have a tendency to do those things when I'm in escape mode. Mm. Um, because my job can be so demanding mentally and relationally, sometimes I'll avoid thinking about important things. Mm. And instead, go go into escape mode where I'm I'm not even really in my own head, mm-hmm. and so instead I'll be on Netflix or I'll be just mindlessly consuming things. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about what purpose is that serving for me? It's helping. It's it's. I think I'm thinking in that moment that it's helping me, you know, restore myself after a lot of heavy conversations. Mm. When in reality, I'm just avoiding the things that would actually bring me rest. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, it's. It's it's there's a real need there. There's mm-hmm. something real that's going on. It's just without the intentionality, we might address it in ways that are insufficient or even harmful or something like that. Exactly. Is that what you'd say? Yeah, yeah, I think so because I think you know there there is going to be a need for me. I know just with my personality that. I am going to need that time to recharge after a lot of of just heavy interactions with people. I'm a very much a textbook introvert where I need that time mm. to reset and recharge. But to do so in ways that potentially are harmful to me, whether it's physically, mentally, financially. So being able to 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 ask myself, okay, what purpose is this actually serving mm-hmm. um, for me, and is that beneficial to me or not? Yeah. Well, what if someone said watching five hours of Netflix a night Mm -hmm. is something I do to rest? Would you say that there are deeper ways of rest that they should be pursuing? I think it it probably has to do more so with... I'd say kind of what's what's the content of what you're watching and what purpose is it serving? Mm. I think for me, there are definitely times where I'm watching Netflix and it is actually restful for me right. where, you know, if I'm watching like a nature documentary, I love those because mm. they they help me see like the beauty of God's creation and I love learning. And so if I'm learning something new in the in the process of of watching that, then that is restful for me. And it is something that I think is is positive and healthy. Five hours, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if that's healthy for anyone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but so not, not only taking a look at, you know, how you're spending your time, but what's even, you know, the content of what, of what you're consuming and is, is that, what purpose is that serving as well? Yeah. 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 You know, I think, uh, you mentioned escape. What could be some of the other reasons that 
would be the purposes that mm-hmm. would be driving those behaviors. Mm. For for those behaviors specifically or just or in, in any, general? In general. Yeah, I think, you know, because I, I was asking um, Warren some of these questions yesterday mm-hmm. just um, in preparation. I think he actually had a lot of, of positive answers, mm. you know, for, for those first two. And so, you know, what purpose it, it could be serving for you, it, it might actually be a healthy purpose mm. where, you know, the ways that you're spending your time and energy are actually devoted to, you know, bettering yourself, to strengthening relationships with other people, you know, to um, just being able to uh, engage with others in, in healthier ways. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're taking taking stock of, you know, how you're spending your time and, and you're noticing that you're making positive changes to to be a healthier healthier person so that you're able to serve others mm-hmm. um, more effectively. On the other token, uh, maybe some some unhealthy patterns of, of how you're spending your time and energy, it could ultimately have a, you know, it could ultimately have, you know, a, a positive underlying need. Mm-hmm. And I think all of all of the needs that we have fundamentally, we all need those things. But mm. sometimes people could be pursuing, you know, love and admiration or you know, needing to feel needed by other people. Hmm. And it's just the way that we're going about it currently mm-hmm. is not is not benefiting us. And it could actually be unhealthy or detrimental to us. Yeah, totally, totally. You, can I tell you a strange observation I've had? Yeah. What, in asking questions like this, I've noticed when when I avoid God, when I'm in a mode where I'm either disappointed or just in general avoiding God, Mm -hmm. I don't watch a lot of basketball. Whoa. Isn't that weird? (laughs) That is weird. And because basketball for me is one of the primary ways that I am filled with wonder at the brilliance Mm. of God's creation. And um, it's interesting, like, avoiding my Bible and avoiding basketball and those tend to go hand in hand. Right. Kind of, you know, so if I'm watching a lot of like uh, mindless sitcoms instead of watching basketball, it's uh, usually indicative of some level of like disappointment with God or something. It's Mm -hmm. a, it's an interesting connection. I think that's good. Uh, Thinking about myself too, because I knew I had kind of a dry spell with Mm. nature documentaries for a while Mm. and that I was watching more like mindless, you know, stuff. And yeah, I think, I think that there's probably a connection there too of, you know, if I want to escape from everything, I'm, you know, trying to escape from the reality (laughs) of of who God is in the moment as well. Sure. Trying to see myself as the the most important being at the moment and my own, you know, pleasure or happiness. Yeah. At that time, instead of being confronted with the reality of, no, you know, God is sovereign and uh, you need to be doing something a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, I feel like these first two questions of what matters actually and what's the purpose behind it really do get at the really do get at the orienting center of our hearts and mm-hmm. whether they're d- directed towards God, towards others, towards the goodness of his world or something otherwise. But what's the third question? Okay, the third question is also related to mm-hmm. uh, the, the first two. And that's, am I okay with that? Hmm. <laughs> so number three is you think you thinking about, you know, what actually matters to you in reality at the moment? And what purpose is it serving? Are you okay with that? Hmm. You know, so for myself being able to reflect and say, okay, I'm spending all this time trying to escape from you know, the the realities of, of what I'm dealing with on a daily basis. And I'm doing it in ways that are potentially harmful to me physically because I eat way too much sugar, more than any person should consume on a daily basis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, spending time frivolously, like watching things where I'm not even or, or not reaching out to people, you mm-hmm. know, times when I can look at my phone and say, I have not called a single person that was not where it wasn't work related, right. you know, in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, um, am I okay with that? And the answer is no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, I think, the, the first, you know, that, that progression of, of, three set, of three questions is to get you to this point where you're considering, okay, is this a direction I, I want to continue going in? Or do I potentially want to do something to change course? Mm. And I think that's important to ask ourselves on a regular basis is, do I want to keep going in this direction? Or do I need to try something else? Yeah, yeah. And it seems like the natural response to the answer to that question 
should either be repentance or gratitude. Right. Yeah. And both of those reinvigorate the heart and grip the heart and and awaken uh, people from kind of the lull. Definitely. Um, What about the fourth question? So number four is changing course a little bit. The first three were connected, but this one is more independent. And that is, what am I saying no to? Mm. And this is, you know, not necessarily consciously, what are you saying no to? I think, you know, some people are really great at setting boundaries and saying no to the things that um, that they should be saying no to. Some people are not so great with mm. that, and they're what we call the yes people mm-hmm. um, or people pleasers, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes taking on a lot more responsibility than potentially they, they should be um, to keep them healthy. But the reality is no matter whether you're a yes person or a no person, you know, you're always saying no to something, mm. even if it's unconsciously. Um, so thinking about you know, what, whatever, you know, path you're leading at the moment, um, whatever responsibilities you're saying yes to, you know, there's always going to be the underlying no um, mm. behind that. Um, so if you're saying, if I'm saying yes to being a full-time clinical therapist right now, that means I am saying no at the moment to being a full-time writer yeah. or to pursuing, uh, I'm saying no to pursuing that right now. Yeah. Um, in order to spend more time, you know, continuing to lear- learn and grow in this field, because I've only been a full-time therapist for one year. Mm. I, th- I still have a lot to learn, a lot to grow in, and it takes a lot of time and energy. So saying, being able to, to look at that and say, you know, right now I'm saying no to, to writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to number three, am I okay with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at the moment I'd say, yes, I am. Mm. Um, so thinking about for for you specifically, you know, with with everything that you're saying yes to, what are you unconsciously saying no to at the same time? Yeah, I think that that question is so important. I heard a quote recently. I don't know who it's from. I think it's like written in the margin of my journal. Um, <laughs> and uh, it says that every yes must be defended by a thousand no's. Mm. Uh, and I think it's so important because it's gets to the core what you really want to be oriented toward uh, in your life in the way to, that you feel the cost of it. Right. Yeah. And and in our vocation coaching, some of the career coaching stuff that we do with Faith, Work, and Rest, one of the things I have people do is to make the, the nope list. <laughs> and it's what goes on that list are things that you value that you love, that you have to say nope to Mm. (laughs) in this particular season. And I I do think at the end of life, one of the most important resumes that we'll have to present, that we get to present, are the, it's the resume of the things undone and that we never did and that we could have done that we deliberately said no to so that we could be faithful to what was before us. Yeah. Um, there, there's a guy, his name's Larry Osborne, and he says that you should not think about fulfilling your potential, but you should focus on fulfilling your calling. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, and I've, I've used this illustration on other podcasts before, but I think about my daughter, and there are so many things about time with my daughter that I'm not good at, that I have, if I were to really press into my potential, into my strengths, it would be... That's not where I would spend my time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But that is my calling. She is the one that God has put before me. So I could be off writing a book in another room, but playing Legos is the more important thing now. And at the end of my life, I will be able to present to God a book never written because I was present with (laughs) those that I loved, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I love that question of what are you saying no to? Do you think that people should literally like make a list of these things or it should just be in the back of their mind? I think that's a great idea um, because I think that, you know, like you said, there's there should be a very important list of, of things that you have said no to that are, are serving a greater purpose. Yeah. Um, at the same time, there's going to be you know, the, the list of things you're saying no to that, that maybe you didn't even realize that you were saying no to. Right. And, you know, it's taking you off guard and confronting you maybe with some guilt or mm. some shame. 
uh, in that space or, or causing you to actually reflect and say, oh, I, I didn't want to say no to that. Mm. Um, so being able to, to create that list, I think, would be a great visual way for people to, um, to reflect on that and say, you know, which of these things am, am I good with saying no to? And in what ways do my, to my, in what ways do my priorities potentially need to shift in order to allow some some more space for those things that I have been saying no to that in this season now, I, I cannot consciously continue to say no to mm. those things. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, question five. What do you All got? Right. So the last one, question number five, how do I matter to others mm. right now? So I think, you know, when it comes to self-reflection, we it is important to think about, you know, ourselves, our own, you know, personalities, our own choices and motivations, and at the same time consider with all those things, how, how are we impacting the people around us? Mm. Um, so for each, you know, close relationship that we have, thinking about what am I actually bringing to the table mm. in that relationship in the moment? Mm. Or if I were to ask this person, you know, to kind of characterize our relationship right now, what would they say about, about who I am as a person within this relationship? And would it potentially be positive or negative? Mm. Um, would they say that I, that I'm a devoted friend and that they can count on me or would they say, you know what, she's been pretty absent for a while or, you know, there's been times where I've actually been disappointed, um, you know, by lack of follow through or, you know, it seems like they never really have time for me, those Mm. kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, so thinking about how, how do I matter to others right now? Um, and, and for the most important relationships in our lives, are they actually in a, in a healthy place or do we potentially need to make some changes there as well? Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I think it's pretty obvious, but why is that such an important question? And I think it's important because, you know, we're obviously not, not designed to live in a vacuum. Yeah. We're not designed to live alone as much as sometimes I would like to think <laughs> that we should be. Right. Um, because I, I tend to withdraw from people. I think it's an important question for me especially mm-hmm. um, because I do have a tendency to, you know, withdraw from people or, you know, if, if I'm if I'm feeling the need to 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 rest, I can trend more toward, you know, isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see, you know, if I when I'm reflecting the ways that I'm potentially hurting other people, potentially not not giving the best of myself to mm-hmm. to the relationships that are important to me because I'm feeling so drained by, you know, the work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about, okay, what what can I do to to reach out to these people and to to let them know that I do genuinely love and care about them and just to to be able to be there for them, you know, in those in those moments of, you know, thinking about how I'm spending my time. Um, so I think it's important for everyone to to just to just kind of take a step back and and think about you know those important relationships to you you know are do you actually feel connected do they feel connected to you mm. yeah i think that's really good because there from my experience i've seen a pendulum swing there tends to be a life that's completely oriented outward and doesn't have much self reflection mm-hmm. then often the pendulum will swing to where there's deeper self-reflection, but you become disconnected to from these important relationships and your role in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so what I think is beautiful about these questions is you've given four really rich, uh, inward-directed, reflective questions, but this one to say, but remember right. others as well. Exactly. You're called to know and to be known. Uh, and to to love and to be loved. That's really good. That's really good. One last question for you. There's a lot of talk right now about the Enneagram uh, Mm. as a tool for self-reflection. I think we should do a podcast in the future that's all on the Enneagram. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But I just wanted to hear your thoughts about that as a tool and how people could go about using that. I I personally love the Enneagram. Um, I think it is a really great tool so for people who, who don't really know a lot about it, just a quick overview, it's mm-hmm. um, a type of personality assessment. Um, and for the Enneagram, I mean, it's uh, for nine different kind of types of personalities. And what I love about 
this one compared maybe to some other personality assessments out there Mm -hmm. is I think this one really focuses not only on our individual strengths, but also on areas kind of, it's almost like the danger zone Mm. of, uh, of ways to kind of think about, okay, with, with everything that I'm doing right now, you know, what is my key motivation behind it? And, and what are potentially the, the unhealthiest parts of my personality and um, the Enneagram really gets to the heart of, you know, our key motivations, potentially the areas of sin that we can most naturally fall into if mm-hmm. we're not careful. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a great way to, to consider, you know, what is my key motivation for, for everything I'm pursuing? What are the, the areas that I need to be very mindful of that could potentially be dangerous for me? And also, how, how do I relate to other people? Because if you look at kind of the symbol of the Enneagram, you know, it's kind of this nine-pointed star, and mm-hmm. it shows how all of these different personality types are connected to each other. Hmm. And we don't just fit, you know, neatly into one type. We trend toward, you know, the healthy parts of, of a different type when we're really, you know, feeling integrated and, and healthy. And we trend toward the unhealthy parts of another type when we're kind of more in a, a state of stress. And so I think it's it's great to be able to find kind of the the number that that you most most fit into, but also to be able to learn about, you know, potentially the uh, the types that your loved ones are, because it really helps you in, in your communication with them. Um, and it, it helps you to learn how to love other people maybe more effectively. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think there's a book out there called The Road Back to You. Mm-hmm. Have you read that book at all? I haven't. It is on my list on uh, my library app. And so it's been on hold for several weeks. Nice. So, nice. But I do I do have another book. Uh, I think it's just called The Essential Enneagram. Uh-huh. And that's one where it does outline just all the all the different types. What's interesting about, you know, the way that you're supposed to find out what your type is, yeah. is, you know, there are free, you know, simple, quick assessments you can take online, right. but it's actually not the most effective way right. to figure out your type. It's uh, it's actually a pretty like long, arduous process where you're supposed to, you know, read the descriptions for each type blindly, mm. pick out the ones that resonate most with you, mm. read the actual descriptions of those types and see which one kind of fits the most with you. And then also have conversations with those around you and say, do you think this is this could be you know uh, the mm. best fit for me so yeah. it's actually supposed to be you know the self-reflection is inherently built into the process of finding your type right right it's not just punching a few answers to some questions right I mean that exists it does exist and you know in some ways it's it, it, it probably you know could be accurate for you um but I think for for a lot of people that might not be the most accurate way to find out their their true type That's cool. That's cool. Well, Jordan, the young sage, I appreciate you taking the time being here, being on this podcast and the good work you do. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Before we sign off, we wanted to let you know that we would really appreciate any feedback you have for us. In particular, it would really help us out if you left a comment and gave a rating on iTunes. It will help us get the word out. A five-star rating would be awesome, but we appreciate honesty. Also, if you are seeking some clarity about your work and calling, we would love to connect with you and help provide some career coaching. You can find out more about the career coaching at faithworkrest.com. Until next time, we pray that God would help you discern your vocation, reimagine every aspect of your occupation, and give you rich, life-giving rhythms of rest. We pray that your work would glorify God and seek the good of your neighbor. See you next week.